0: Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Janina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello to all the wonderful wine lovers of the world. Welcome back to a really... Nice, soft, chilling in your living room, fluffy socks on, wine shared with friends kind of episode. I'm joined by the very knowledgeable Victoria Dascal. Uh, she's a second stage Master of Wine candidate. Next week, we get a lot more educational, but this week, it's really about Victoria's story and the wine regions she's visited. She's the founder and director of Mummy Wine Club, which offers a monthly wine subscription club and bespoke wine tastings. So she talks about cool themes you can recreate if you wanted to put on a wine tasting for friends at home or lesser known grape varieties to try if you're looking for something different. Throughout, you're going to hear recommendations on where to travel along with maybe some motivation for those wanting to get into the wine industry and not looking to do it through the sommelier or wine shop route. This is definitely a put your feet up episode where you can just get a glimpse into the wine world through the experiences of someone who was just searching for something a little bit more interesting in life. So cue Victoria Daskell. Victoria, welcome to the Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat podcast. Are you ready? Thank you, Nina.
1: Yes, I'm very ready. <laughs> Thank you.
0: I just made that rather serious, and I actually never do that. So, anyway, uh-huh. let's uh, go to more fun stuff. So, tell me—I do this very often when I have wonderful guests that have done brilliant things in the wine industry. I always want to know where it started for them. Uh-huh. So, where does your wine story begin?
1: Yeah, that's—it um, made me think. Actually, you know, for my when you asked me that earlier, said, yeah, 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 yeah. let me think. Where does it start? Because you know, at the time of starting it, it, I was still living in Boston in the U.S. and mm. I probably at that point didn't know it was going to be the start of my wine story. But it, I truly it started when I signed up for wine courses mm-hmm. uh, myself. It was my first year out of university. I had gone to university in Montreal at McGill. I did a double major in economics and psychology, and my first job ah. was in it was in finance, and mm-hmm. it, you know, it was sort of the first thing I could get, and it was interesting actually no it wasn't interesting that was the point it was <laughs> it was it was actually dry and boring and i thought you know it kind of paid my my rent but it wasn't uh-huh. you know anything fulfilling so i started taking wine courses um mm-hmm. in boston from a you know a wonderful teacher who was just really inspirational because he taught wine not just you know the liquid and the glass but he was always talking about you know the history and the culture behind it and i really got Fascinated by it because of mm. how you know it wasn't just you know a beer or a margarita. I mean, it had a lot of culture behind it and and just really fascinating stories. So I ended up taking all of the courses that year that that were on offer,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um, you know, was not by any means a wine expert, but I was already getting that kind of that bug and yeah. was thinking really like, why am I working in finance when there's just you know, <laughs> amazing wine world out there um mm-hmm. so that was the very start where i kind yeah. of got that first taste
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: it it took off when my best friend in boston was saying to me you know i'm going to france next year i'm going to be teaching english in france you know they've got loads of wine in france <laughs> you should come Appar- with me apparently they uh, apparently yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. you Last know time exactly. I and I, I i i i i believed her so i applied to <laughs> this program it was like a teaching assistant program to teach um english at a lycée And I, yeah, and I got it and I came and I got placed in the south of France um, for a year and I was teaching English for only, you know, 12, 15 hours a week. So I had a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And then while there, I started to um really learn wine because I, I volunteered at a vineyard. Um.
0: Oh, so where were you in the south of France?
1: Yeah, so I was actually based in Cannes, which is okay. known for the yep. film festival. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, you know, the region where all the rosé is mm-hmm. renowned for. You know, Provence is kind of all oh, on the outer bits of Cannes. And it's, you know, the kind of official Easy drink. To to. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, so I worked at a tiny little winery called Domaine de Grand Pre. And it was for a lovely woman who had just acquired it, actually. So she had a lot of work to do to kind of, um, you know, just get get going with the production and to modernize a few little things. And it was small production, but it was really nice, really interesting. She explained a lot of techniques to me that I had no clue about. And, I, you know, just learning by doing. And, and that mm-hmm. was great. Um, and then I, you know, that year I had time to read about wine, learn about wine. So that definitely was a step further. And then following that year, I decided, OK, for sure I'm you know, convinced and I need to take it a step further. So I had applied to do a master's in wine management, which was, ah, um, okay. yeah, through the OIV. So not many people know it um, in the UK, but there are a few people in the UK who have done it, um, okay. including, you know, Gerard Basset had graduated from the OIV. Oh.
0: Well, yeah, of he had done it.
1: Yeah, famously.
0: <laughs> He's basically done every Everything. single yes. type of wine study you can do. Uh-huh. Exactly,
1: yeah. Okay. I went to his graduation when he finished the OAB. So um, anyway, so it's it's a great program because basically it's based out of Paris, but we um, spend 11 months on the road. So we travel to 23 different wine countries,
0: oh, 45 different
1: wine regions. And, you know, it was really intense. I mean, I think that was... That was the deep plunge for me into mm. the wine world because I was with a group of students from all over the world who had their own wine experiences. Some of them were sommeliers. Some of them were, you know, wine producers or from wine yeah. families, and I. I really entered that program I felt like is the weakest link like I had the oh, least experience you. <laughs> but do you know what it worked out great because I had the most to learn and I had mm. so much to, you know not just from the program but from the other students and yeah. you know now they are still some of my best friends to date because you know we spent a year traveling together and learning from each other and now if I need something you know, in Spain or I need to know about something in Italy, I call one of them up and, you know, they, you know, it's just a fantastic network to have afterwards. So. Oh my God. I (laughs) want to do this.
0: So this is the OIV wine management course.
1: Yes. Yes. The international wine management course. It's a great program. Really good.
0: So you said you went to 23 different countries.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: So, okay. Favorite wine memory. There has to be. Oh man. Oh, is that too hard?
1: No, I mean, it's, Honestly, that whole year was one big memory of, you know, I, I still sometimes reminisce of that because I think we are moving at such a fast rate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, you don't, you almost like your body's moving faster than your mind, where you're kind of, <laughs> you've already left mm-hmm. that previous country. You're in a new country, but you're still, you're thinking about what you just learned and who you just met. And I still now, and I probably, my only regret is I wish I had known more when I was a yeah. student. So I had, mm-hmm. so I was able to ask the right questions maybe or appreciate what you know what we were being told and taught because I was still quite a novice at that stage so you know I probably you know walking through the vineyards even in Mendoza or Mm. you know we were in Austria and California like you didn't really understand it as much um, if you're if you're completely new to wine, but but it was still a very very interesting and illuminating experience. And my favorite experience, oh gosh, I mean, I think South America was really interesting. I yeah. had never been there before. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it was yeah, it was brilliant. It was brilliant, and it was we spent a month there. So you know we were in Uruguay, Argentina, Chile, mm-hmm. um, Brazil. So it was you know it was really interesting and i still have great memories of of them and i still you know come back to those regions now and i'm i'm amazed that you know when we went to visit uruguay it was you know like really like we didn't even realize uruguay made wine i mean this is mm-hmm. over you know 12 years ago now being new to the wine industry but now i'm you know writing and including and working with bodegas garcon for example of you know course, someone amazing. who yeah. mm-hmm. you know now for me seems like a really big player but back then i didn't you know know anything yeah
0: and i love the fact that you've picked south america was that potentially as well because of the culture and the people and the energy oh yeah yeah
1: completely i mean yeah. i think you know what it was like i liked because europe is obviously an amazing wine country and every mm-hmm. every every region and, and continent has you know their relationship to wine. But some in some regions, it's really ingrained. Has, you know, it goes back you know, centuries and through the generations. But in some, it's still fairly new. But in in South America, I yeah, I felt like it was kind of casual and I really liked how it was just part of you know getting together with your family having you know a glass of Malbec and Mm -hmm. you know like every kind of you know outdoor sport and then you still finish with a barbecue and a glass of you know Malbec it was just fantastic and (laughs) uh, even like I mean we were just you know young students like okay let's just go and get a cheap meal at McDonald's oh and they have Malbec on the menu at McDonald's
0: there yeah they do they do yeah
1: And we were shocked, but, you know, it's just, it's really part of everyday life. And I thought that was really interesting.
0: Oh, my God. Okay, then quick fire round. Mm -hmm. Most beautiful wine region that took your breath away.
1: (gasps) Oh, that's hard. Um, okay, yeah, there are hard. many, and I really, honestly, I cannot just say one, but one that comes to mind right this moment okay, yeah. is actually, like, I really was impressed with the Alps and, you know, going ah, to okay. Switzerland. We visited Switzerland and, you know, just driving through the mountains and um, seeing kind of yeah the the vines in there and also the culture of you know having your your dinner right there like amongst mm-hmm. the vines and then also going into northern Italy and seeing how that topography changes so I don't know I I think there's so many luckily we we work in an industry where like it's hard to pick just one
0: I, I know I mean that was a tough question because ultimately yeah. pretty much every wine region is yeah That's I've the never point, seen a it?
1: horrible one <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: very rare
0: no have I but anyway I appreciate I, I'd love to go to Switzerland. I think those super steep yeah. slopes and the fact yeah. that it's so mountainous is definitely, yeah, one that people need to tick off. Now, as you know, this is being released at, towards the end of March, Women's History Month. So I want to ask you, who has been your female wine inspiration?
1: Oh, That's a good question. I mean, to be honest, I have a few and they all kind of, have changed depending on what I've been doing in my wine Mm -hmm. journey so for instance you know truly when I first got into wine and I was buying my first wine books then of course inevitably like Jancis Robinson was my kind of hero because you know she was the author of a lot of the books I was buying and (laughs) and, uh, you know reading her articles so that was really an inspiration to me and also being a female you know wine writer and critic and educator so i was definitely inspired by her mm-hmm. um but then actually as i got further into my own wine journey my inspirations can even be a lot of my friends and colleagues that i've met and seeing mm-hmm. how they do fantastic work and you know for instance um i also teach at the WSET um I didn't and, know that. you know yeah so I okay. you know I love teaching I've always I've always been you know ever since I started learning about wine I've always wanted to keep talking and telling other people about wine and so I well, do I know teach there <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know how that is right you just want to <laughs> teach everybody about wine um uh-huh. but you know and so then like wonderful educators like her, you know Christine Marsilio I'm really inspired by her I have okay. taken some of her courses Um, You know, on the kind of MW level where she helps prep students Mm -hmm. and I can see how great, you know, how a great teacher she is. And so that has inspired me. Um, Equally, you know, just in wine writing, I'm I'm inspired by writers like Margaret Rand and like the way she's so, you know, charming and her storytelling is really, really lyrical. Or like Anne Crabell, who's just incredible at, you know, really getting to the point of really interesting topics.
0: My last um, guest. My oh, last really? Yeah. My last guest. Yeah. Well, oh.
1: probably not your last again. I'm sure you'll have her back. She's oh, so God. And, yeah. The amount
0: that she, the detail she goes into. Yeah,
1: because she's amazing. She's so intelligent. And also, yes. yeah, just... I, I, I really, you know, love her writing as well. And then, you know, and then more recently, you know, with Mummy Wine Club, I, I got inspired with um, Sarah Abbott who, you know, is another yes, master of wine the who old yeah. vines as well. The yeah. Research she's
0: doing
1: oh yes. I, I, yeah. I got I was so, you know, impressed and also just with the way that she's championing um, other lesser known wine regions, but you know, mm-hmm. very high quality, really again rich in history and culture like Georgia, Turkey, yes. Japan. And, you know, really shining on, on a light on them. And so, you know, that actually has in turn inspired me in the way I, te- you know, choose my wine selections each month. So, you know, there's 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 no, sh- I mean, I've just named a few, but there's so many amazing women in wine. <laughs>
0: so, no, they are good choices. Yeah. Well done. Now, I'm going to bring you back to Jancis Robinson because I know that when you came to the UK, you were interning for her. So I think that must be yeah. a pretty good
1: experience. It was, yes. Yeah. So, well, basically that actually started during the OAV. So when I was on the OEV course, I One of the mm-hmm. ways I wanted to try to learn and, you know, we all kept loads of records and books, uh, sorry, like notebooks and journals of everywhere we visited, you know, but, you you know, you get so yeah. many of them. And sometimes I felt I really want to ensure that I learn as much as I can from this region. So I wanted to write articles about some of the places I was visiting. And I was writing a few for um, a few places in boston called like bostonist.com which actually doesn't exist anymore. it used to it's like londonist.com oh, okay. but now it's anyway oh, okay. um so i was mm-hmm. writing for them i was writing for interwine.com just a few wine blogs in the u.s um and then wine state in australia just you know kind of reporting on my from the from the trips and my school director at the time um michelle burkey he actually really amazingly I didn't know he was going to do this but he wrote to Jansis and said we have a student on the course who's really interested in wine writing oh, wow. you know and she's already been in touch with the OIV because she often um does a presentation when they come to the UK they they had mm-hmm. at that point uh, regularly met with Jancis so she, she would kind of introduce them to you know the UK market and so do you know do a presentation for them but so at that point um this was 2007 I think um he had written and said, you know, do you have any kind of advice or tips on where she might be able to write? And she actually very, you know, generously said she can write for me. Um, you know, I it wasn't a paid gig or anything, but it was a, mm-hmm. still a fantastic um, chance to to write for someone who is already so well known. And she, you know, she had that website already, JansisRobinson.com. Um, so she basically published a few of my articles just from the road. So I remember the very first one I wrote to her was um from Hungary and it was I was reporting about Oh wow. yeah I was talking about how Tokai is not just a sweet wine anymore. How at that time I know mm-hmm. we all know this now, but at that time it was kind of a little bit newer that ferment was being yeah. fermented dry and it was, you know, really you know, it was just becoming a little bit more of a wider known wine from hungary which was a dry tokai mm-hmm. you know now you see it on the menu all the time and on wine lists, but at that point it was new and so anyway so i wrote an article about that and you know from there it kind of took off and i wrote from china and from the u.s um from various Ooh, from china yeah, and i remember from so we visited we visited china on the course and um we were there mm-hmm. and we visited some Um, producers and also just actually in Shanghai and Beijing we visited more the commercial side actually we were learning about how the market works and how wine education works there and everything and interestingly I wrote this article and she said you know what I'm going to wait to publish this until you've left China so just to make sure there's no problem yeah (laughs) because she was you know really she was Uh, very savvy in that way she's like just in case there's any problems uh, you know with because that wasn't like uh, you know it was you know it was a very constructive kind of piece about you know my impressions of you know the wine industry in China and it was again coming from someone who is still quite new but just my observations and so I did that and um, okay so how I got to England was basically at the end of my course you're required to do a an internship and you then have to also write up a report on a particular topic which I ended up writing on wine communication. But um, again, I wrote to her, said, you know, it's been great to write for your blog and, or oh, sorry, for your website. You know, I would actually love to go and live in the UK for some period of time because I'm really interested in the wine scene there. Um, listen, truthfully, my boyfriend at the time was living in the UK, and who is now my husband.
0: Oh, okay, that worked out. And so we wanted to live in London <laughs> together.
1: So I wrote to her and I said, you know, do you know anybody who might be hiring? And she was, you know, in a few days, she wrote back and said, actually, I'll be glad to do a paid internship with you. Um, it was, Amazing. yeah, it was for, you know, for kind of five months, I came and um, worked for her full time, basically on her website um on various wine projects because she besides her website she actually did a lot of other projects like both British Airways and Nintendo and other you know wine um Nintendo. yeah yeah there was a project with um uh, Nintendo DS which yeah it's not very well known but it's um it was something related to wine and food pairing so basically having to okay. choose a hundred wines and match them uh-huh. to I think it was a thousand recipes from Elle magazine, Elle oh. table, like a French oh Elle. God. So yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. was a project mm-hmm. I had to work on. Anyway, so it was great. It was a really, really interesting experience. Um, she was very good about helping me with pointers on wine writing, you know, how to get interesting um, kind of angles and stories and not to be totally... Um, you know maybe swayed by one side and really look at it from different points of view and you know very very good mm-hmm. comments and you know um, I definitely cherished the kind of that period of learning from her it was it was really great so I, I did that for about five months and actually did not know whether I would stay or go back to America or to you know maybe to France because I also really liked it there but yeah no mm-hmm. I ended up you know getting a job with Latheweights afterwards and then with you know okay. other wine companies and and here we are nearly you know over a decade later I'm still in London and I love it and I'm really glad because it really kind of all pinned on getting that internship with Janssens because if I hadn't I would have oh. probably settled somewhere else so well
0: thank you Jancis. yes thank you and uh, it all worked out and you got to live with a boyfriend that's in Asbury exactly. now funny oh, yes. we segue into that because you obviously continued, you did lots of freelance writing, but then once you had your baby, you had an idea to set up the Mummy Wine Club. Have I got that right in terms of timing? It it, it was, I mean, I I had
1: worked, you know, in a lot of other different fields, um, like in sales and marketing and events. And as I said, I've always been, you know, I've always loved teaching. So I've I've always done a bit of that on the side. Um, And Mm. I had already been working at this point at the World of Fine Wine magazine. Um, for nearly six yeah. years and I was managing editor um, most recently and then I had gone on maternity leave with my second daughter and didn't want mm-hmm. to completely you know be shut out from the wine world. I really wanted to stay connected and do things that I loved and, and talk about you know things that I love. So I started a little group called Mummy Wine Club um, just in my neighborhood because I had already known other moms who were, also you know home from work on maternity leave with you know babies that you know still still mm-hmm. wanted to do something interesting and learn something cuz you know when when you have a really young baby there's lots of there's just no shortage of baby classes there's like you know baby massage and baby sensory <laughs> yeah. class and baby yoga yeah. And there's really but what about mummy? Yeah, classes? there's nothing, nothing. There was nothing. I mean, maybe now there's a little bit more, but there's really nothing. And so and the thing is, mm. the reality is actually that when you have a young baby, they're usually asleep. anyway. you know, they sleep so much in the
0: time. <laughs> so actually, my
1: friends and I said, you know what? They knew I work in wine. And, they, you know, we kind of started talking about having maybe a little wine club where I could teach them about wine. Um, you know, kind of a, a short course, like a one hour course at lunchtime. And I so basically started it in my living room with, you know, four to five, sometimes six moms would be able to come. Their babies Mm -hmm. would be asleep in the buggies still kind of we'd park it in the kitchen and, you know, and I would teach them (laughs) really, yeah, a class each week. And I was, you know, for instance, we did a month of South America. We did a month of, you know, France, Italy, Spain, Portugal, um, just, you know, each, each week kind of meeting up, I would show them like the four most important wines from that country and tell them about the grapes and where they come from. And it was really fun and it was not very serious. It was just, you know, a chance to kind of learn and talk and do something a little bit different. And yeah, most of the time the babies were just sleeping or if they, you know, maybe they're, you know, just like rolling around and playing, but it wasn't something that, <laughs> You know, couldn't be done. Um, it just hadn't been done okay, yet, yeah. and yeah. So that was the start of Mummy Wine Club. I mean, I called it Mummy Wine Club on WhatsApp, which is why I then just kept it <laughs> as, a, as the business name. It's now like a trademark incorporated <laughs> company. But um, but yeah, I didn't uh-huh. overthink the name. Obviously, at the time, I just called it that and then stuck with it. Um, so yeah, that was how it started on maternity leave with my daughter, and yeah, and it was. You know, it kind of grew really organically you know just through word of mouth like your child (laughs) yes exactly like the best (laughs) wines um yeah i know so it it just Uh, in a very word of mouth way like that has been the way it has and it continues just mm -hmm. mainly through word of mouth and instagram of course
0: Mm -hmm. and where are you now because on the website it's not just the club is it people can get involved online and have wine boxes absolutely so
1: i mean basically it started with those wine events and You know, as the year progressed, the kids got a little bit. The babies got a little older, and once they got closer to, you know, one years old, you really can't bring them along to things because they they they're they're mobile. They need more attention. So we actually switched gears and started Mm -hmm. doing them um, as weekend and evening events. So kind of left the babies with dads, and then it was really all about (laughs) the moms. And at this point, I you know I actually started really enjoying this as a side job. Um, to wine writing and you know working at the world of my mind and I I, I was mm-hmm. it was actually taking up you know a considerable amount of my free time but it was also fun you know it was also just something I j- truly just love to do so having these like mm-hmm. wine dinners and wine events and um, it got to the point where even wine producers um, and chefs were like you know what we're interested in you know participating in this because we don't often have you know a table of Ten moms, or you know, women who are uh-huh. you know, because it, it yeah. still is a thing where you know it's often the man that has to choose the wine at dinner, or is considered the you know sort of mm-hmm. wine expert in a couple, and you know, we you know, you and I is like women in wine would never, never think that that would be the way, you know, if you go to a restaurant, you'll be the one choosing your wine, obviously. But, Absolutely. but, but, you know, it's amazing how actually in a lot of yeah. normal you know regular couples, it's still you know, the man that gets the menu and whatever. So um, it was interesting that, you know, some producers and chefs were keen to work with female consumers directly. And, and so we had some really mm. fantastic tastings like Alsace and Indian food. And, you know, it was really kind of ticking off, but then literally, um, you know, March 2020 happened, and all oh, that. yeah that happened, <laughs> and everything had to grind to a halt as with everybody else. Yeah. so I couldn't do Mummy Wine Club anymore as I had planned on it. but actually, um I had already in my mind been thinking a little bit about a s- subscription club because I had people who mm. wanted to come along, but they were far away and they just let you know they, and people who always messaged me asking me for wine tips. And um, and as it happens, of course, you know my, my husband loves coffee, so we have like a coffee subscription. And like my a friend of mine locally has a flower subscription, so she you know she delivers bouquets of flowers every week. And uh, oh, yeah, gosh.
0: And, this is the area for subscriptions. Yeah, and well, clubs, so I right? was already
1: okay. you know aware of that. You know, people liking the sort of regular delivery, so I had thought about it. And. Um, and then when COVID hit, I thought, well, time to put this into action, actually, because, you know, mm-hmm. that's the only thing I can do now is send wine out. I cannot, you know, I can't meet with people. But um, but actually it worked really well because it kind of forced me to focus on something specific, which was the subscription yeah. box. And that now is. Very much the core of the business, which is a monthly subscription club. So they can choose either between every month or every other month, and I, they get a selection of four mm-hmm. bottles. Um, and you know, I I really do think of it as like a curated selection because I think a lot about the theme behind the selection. It's not just you know the four mm-hmm. bottles I happen to really like this month or whatever. It's 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 usually built around ideas like um, wine and literature, wine and history, wine and culture. Um, you know, specific, oh, nice. really specific things that people may have not even realized can tie wine together. So it's not just like, I yes, I have had wines that were all from Spain, for instance, but then I've also had wines mm-hmm. um, that were all old vines. Actually, that was influenced by, you know, Sarah Abbott's old old wine okay. conference was, you know, and then there we had wines from all over the world that, you know, South Africa and Chile, South of South, South France um, and Spain, and they were all mm-hmm. kind of old vines that people had never even thought to think of as um as a a type of wine (laughs) you know if you know as a consumer yeah Yeah, so that's how it's kind of developed since covid but then actually now because thankfully we can do stuff again i've also now gone back to the origins and i've reintroduced live events again so during all during covid i was doing the monthly box plus mm-hmm. um, virtual wine tasting. So every month subscribers would be able to come and have a free wine tasting with me. And eventually, actually, I was, in, I was inviting some of the winemakers to come along on the calls. And that really, oh, it was amazing, great yeah. because, you know, for many people, again, we kind of take it for granted probably, you know, in our jobs getting to meet winemakers. But most wine consumers, they don't get the chance to really talk to the person who made their wine and hear from them. And, mm-hmm. and so it was nice to, you know, sit in your living room on a dreary you know february and actually you know talk to someone from new zealand or you know or south africa and like and hear about you know what's it like for them and how they're making wine and their their journey so that was a great you know way to make a you know a challenging thing work for you because connecting with people around the world was was a real perk actually through, through through the virtual
0: tastings So is it still aimed at the female consumer, these boxes or tastings? Are men allowed? Okay, so (laughs) yes, yes and yes. So it is, um, I -hmm. do,
1: of course, speak, you know, to the female consumer because, you know, it was kind of, it came out of a period of, you know, being um, on maternity leave and, you know, spending a lot of time with my female friends and talking to Mm -hmm. them and about their thoughts on wine and, and. And I, you know, I am a woman, so, you know, I'm just kind of doing what I know <laughs> and, and what I love. But actually, it's absolutely a- available to anybody. You don't have to be a woman. You don't have to be a mom. You don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be anybody. You just have to be a person who likes good wine and who is interested yeah. in, you know, really good quality wine that's that's got a story behind it that's, you know, usually made. I tend to choose wines It's not... Um, There's no rule, but I tend to prefer wines that are made by family producers that have, you know, kind of a multi-generational story of winemaking behind them. Um, Of course, there's going to be little exceptions as I discover maybe someone brand new on the scene, but that's just someone I really like. And then also, again, it's not a rule, but I do tend to go for kind of more organic or maybe more naturally made wines. Although, you know, again, I've gone you know, more commercial at some times depending on where I'm trying to you know, what theme I'm going yeah, for. And the store. Yeah, it's it, there's no there's no hard rule, but there is definitely a few kind of um, influences along the way as I choose the
0: wines. For sure. So what are your, some of your favorites then? <sighs> That you've put in the box in the last year like is there a few producers or or grapes yeah well so so the way
1: i you know remember my wine selections has has been by the themes Mm -hmm. so some of my favorites have been for instance um the volcanic wines i've done um which you know again people
0: where did you go yeah
1: i so i went to kind of some of the usual suspects like i had i'd gone to italy Um, And particularly, I was looking Mm -hmm. at Sicily, but in the end, I found wines that were even Ah. just around Sicily and like little islands, like one called Salina, which is, um, yeah, really lovely. And I found a beautiful um, producer who is actually even more known for making uh, growing capers on the island and he's like a really oh, renowned caper grower but also happens because uh-huh. you know how in the, like a lot of agricultural regions people you know they, they, they do, they just do it of, everything yeah business. so he's known for his capers mm-hmm. like all around Italy but um but his <laughs> grapes are also fantastic and he grows grapes from different islands around there and happens to make this amazing kind of very saline um you know just really crisp and minerally almost like smoky white that I really really loved and and so and people really liked it too and then we also went to Tenerife um and had wines from mm-hmm. you know from that region and you know there you know I had been to Tenerife you know when I was actually pregnant with my first daughter so I couldn't drink but I really you know I loved the kind of wine and food culture that you know, I was seeing and and anyway, that the mountain and the volcano Tata, was just really impressive and slightly kind of everywhere you went, you could see it where we were. And so it really struck it reminded me of that, like that being a volcanic region. Um, so I included that in the box, of course, as well. Um, and just no, my, my, I guess what's what strikes me as an option that people don't realize is that, you know, when you're learning about wine, it's not just about necessarily like following one grape or one country you could group them in other ways like maybe yeah like looking at old vines from around the world or volcanic soils mm. or you know another one that was a, a big favorite was actually alpine wines because you know uh, I you know I yeah. it was a region that really you know impressed you know impressed me when I was there as a student it just because of the beauty and the nature and the fresh air and kind of just also how preserved, it felt, you know, it wasn't really influenced by international grapes, they had a lot of their own grapes. And, and so I, you know, I had a box of just very unique um, varieties, like, you know, Terraldago from northern Italy, um, Altesse Mm -hmm. from the Savoie and like Jura regions, and just having grapes that were very unique to their particular sites.
0: Yeah, no, I think actually Alpine wines and they, there's always that freshness as well because they're a little bit higher altitude and they're not heavy in alcohol Absolutely. as well. So I think that's and it's not uh, an area that many people either think of or go to. I mean, we hardly get any Swiss wine, as an example, do we? No, I think the percentage yeah. of it that actually comes to the UK is is tiny, and probably for the rest of the world yeah. is is tiny. Oh, and also with, then again, I always I love the fact that you've done. The volcanic soils because of course we we know all these hot spots for volcanic soils but the average consumer doesn't because they tend to be quite small production but even with Tener- tenerife was it white wine that you did did i, did I make so that so i actually
1: no well sydney you didn't i, I did do a white wine um yeah. You know what's funny? I just remembered I've done Tenerife twice because I did once New Wave Spain, so <laughs> I did Tenerife. Uh-huh. I did um Alista Blanco, and then I did Tenerife okay. again because it did well. But this time I went for a red wine, and it was Alista Negro, and um and so I've done oh, okay. it. It's all about the list. Yeah, and yeah. The great varieties, isn't so it? So I've done I've done it twice, and you know people love it, and I think people really reacted a because the origin is unusual. It's not really something you're gonna get at the supermarket easily, and or if at all. Mm. And then also just the idea of thinking about it based on the soils and, and the kind of, you know, the turmoil mm. that they come from. Some people found it a little bit kind of smoky and maybe even a little tad reductive, but it was funny. It was a little bit of a divisive wine, that one. It was just like um, either really love it and some, and, and the other people found it a little bit funky.
0: <laughs> Do you think that that is how you keep people engaged? in terms of coming up with new ideas, just come up with new themes and try and find.
1: So basically I I think so (laughs) because I've not just gone for the really typical examples of how you can group wine, but now I'm also really interested in like wine and literature, for instance, and you know looking at like wine books not just not literally wine books but books that have wine in them and then choosing wines from there and and that way you can really tap into other hobbies and interests so someone who might be you know a great lover of, of reading could read and enjoy some of the wines that are in that book so i did that with Ernest Hemingway's *A Movable Feast*, where you know it's it's a memoir of his time in the 19th, 20, 1920s Paris, and he drinks a lot of wine mm-hmm. <laughs> during that time with his writer friends. Uh-huh.
0: Um,
1: and and it yeah. happens to actually that he lists a lot of the wines he drinks like in a pretty specific oh, way. Really, yeah, okay. I mean, he he really was uh-huh. a wine lover. Like he. He lists vintages and villages and um you know, spec- wow. yeah, he was very specific. So it was easy for me to go out and like put together a box based on what what I read in that book. Um and Well what did you well, care? so well it was all French pretty much because that was you know that was what mm, you know okay. what you could yeah. get in 90s, 1920s paris but it but there was mm-hmm. loads of options i mean he talked a lot about drinking great muscadet with oysters and shellfish and you know crab mm. mexican like he really specified you know even the pairings that he was having there yeah oh, and wow. then he talked okay. about wines from corsica and he talked about wines from a lot, from the Rhone and Burgundy. So we had a wine from Macon because he actually in the book does a road trip with F. Scott Fitzgerald, like from Lyon to Dijon and from Paris. Yeah. So it's really fascinating. It's a great book to read if you're oh, a wine wow. lover, okay. um, and particularly if you're a lover of French wine regions. So we had, yeah, um, yeah okay. a, a Muscadet, a Macon, and then we had a Corsican wine, which is absolutely brilliant. Um, and then for the red, we had a Caor, which um you know of uh-huh. course is Malbec but people don't think about that as um necessarily as, as a Malbec so it's very different
0: well it of course, because it's just so famous yeah. from Argentina, but it's nice to go back to its original exactly. roots. Yeah, and of course, very different for anyone listening. It's not quite, it's a lot more yeah. rustic and you'll you'll have more tannins than what you expect from the Malbec you Absolutely. normally get from Argentina. How did that go down, actually, a Cahors Malbec?
1: Really good. I mean, it was Chateau de Chambert, which is a very, very good producer. And, you know, just,
0: I, I although it is mm-hmm. more kind of structured
1: and a little bit more savory than anything you'd get in Mendoza, it still is... Um, like the tannins are really lovely and and kind of integrated really well, so I don't think anybody found it you know too hard to to enjoy. And in fact, it's it's become a favorite like people come back to it and I was like I want that for my Christmas meal now and and actually that's something I do offer ah. is if you if it's something that's been in my box I tend to also offer it in like an online wine shop um setting so people can then go back and buy it again if they really liked it so it's it's nice that they don't have it's not just like a flash and then they never see that wine again they can they can buy it again
0: if they want it I can go back. I'll be like that. So, okay. I want to ask you two questions that I've been inspired by what you just said. First of all, I want to know your favorite food and wine pairing. What comes to mind? And I'm sure you have loans. Oh,
1: my gosh. Okay. So favorite food and wine pairing. Um, Can I just tell you one that I had kind of recently that really surprised me? Yes, you're allowed. So I'm not saying I do this every (laughs) night. Please. I do not do this often. But I had um, a duck confit recently with English sparkling wine. And it's so weird, but it really worked so well. And it's really stood out to me because it's something where, you know, you're cooking and you have your sort of cooking Uh wine and you just, you know, as you're getting Uh ready for dinner. And then I was thinking I would have a Pinot Noir with the duck because that was like such a which would exactly. be more classic. But then but then I just still had, you know, half, half a bottle of this English sparkling wine. It was really delicious. And so we just decided to stick with it. And it went so beautifully. It was just because the duck is quite fatty, like it's, you know, and also the potatoes and everything. Mm-hmm. And the English sparkling wine is so fresh and crisp and high acid and mouth watering. It just worked really well. And, you know, both my husband and I just thought, wow, that actually was delicious. And, you know, we saved the Pinot Noir for something else. But never would have imagined English sparkling wine and duck confit being a thing but now it is a thing (laughs) I'll never stray from that
0: beautiful did you stick with a typical just a brute sparkling that was a blend of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir grapes or was it a Blanc yeah no it was
1: was a blend yeah it was a Boussy Jacobson it was really nice yeah ah
0: I literally just tasted their white at the latest sit tasting and really, really vibrant. Um, That's my memory from tasting. And also
1: great depth. Like it really felt like it was, you know, not just this linear kind of very, you know, it also had this like depth as well in the palate. Like it had a little bit of breadth and I don't know, it had nice weight to it too. So I don't know, it went really well with, with food so
0: beautiful love that okay now my last question because you are a beautiful writer yourself do you have any wine books that you would yeah well
1: i have a lot of wine books actually i'm kind of um really bad at just like constantly acquiring new books and i haven't read them all but like I (laughs) it's
0: never the worst it's not the worst yeah no i do i love wine books (laughs) um
1: i think this is the one that i have on my desk right now which is i really like it just the way it's done It's called Vignette by Jane Lopez, and it's called Stories of Life and Wine in 100 Bottles. And I actually picked it up just because when I flicked through it, I really liked the way she grouped each chapter, which is Mm -hmm. kind of in a way that I, again, like the way I like to look at wine is not just by region necessarily or by grape, but she talks about, um, you know, different i don't know different kind of things and in in her travels and and she even actually mentions some spirits and other drinks in this book but it's it's a good one because it's not just factual it's also her sort of story and her experience with the wine and it's just a very personal personal way of presenting wine and i like the illustrations are really Mm. nice as well she has really great maps and even the way she you know barolo is actually a wine that i is one of my favorites actually and she has a um a section where she classifies, in her way, modern versus traditional Barolo and Barbaresco's and she has a beautiful.
0: Oh, and that's it's so like, yeah, good. it's very handy yes, to really understand it, stand the category. It's the same thing as like looking at more traditional Rioja versus modern Rioja, and the usage totally. of oak. You know, American versus French, and a lot of new oak versus no, yeah. no new oak, and and it, people really understanding just that one wine, but in it, its too... With Absolutely, faces, yeah, and no like, yeah, you, you're
1: right. You okay. get that in a different, in a lot of like, kind of big, um, traditional regions. You get the kind of traditionalist and the modernist, and then she's, you know, done a great way of, um, yeah, t- exactly that, talking about the oak usage, but also the skin maceration length and how long they do that for, and you know, so it's really nice if you want to exactly know what to expect from different producers.
0: Now, just in case anyone was wondering what is a modern style of Rioja versus traditional, well, traditionally, the wine would go through an extended amount of ageing, and this would be in American oak barrels. They'd also tend to be lighter, as they would see less maceration, and they can have a lovely elegance, whereas modern styles are very fruit-driven, with loads of concentration, and they're aged in French oak for less time and they're very often 100% Tempranillo rather than a blend of the grapes growing in Rioja. Now if we're looking at traditional versus modern Barolos, modern is all about aging in small French barrels, imparting more oak and spice flavors, whereas traditional is all about aging in large old wooden vats known as botties, where they impart no oak flavors. Modern Barolos can be drunk younger as they have shorter macerations, meaning less intense tannins, and their fermentations are shorter and warmer. In fact, a great Great story to look up would be that of modern Barolo producer Elio Altare, who famously took a chainsaw to his father's old vats and that resulted in him being cut out of the will. Anyway, I imagine sommelier Jane Lopez, who's written this book Vignette, goes into much more detail. So if you are after a new wine book, that could be the next one on your list. Now, Jane Lopez herself has an incredible story. She's passed her master sommelier exams in 2018, and for those of you that watched the movie Som, you'll know that this is one of the hardest exams in the world to pass. And within a few weeks of being freshly crowned, she was dragged into a cheating scandal based on a few sommeliers, which meant that every sommelier was to have their title taken away and have to do the tasting exam again. Absolutely brutal. Now, if you read Jane's account of her emotions and what this all meant you'll understand why after passing she never took the second exam again and has realized after all that previous hard work that she doesn't need the letters m s after her name quite valiant and certainly an inspiring woman so today's episode will conclude with a quote or or more of a snippet from the preface of her book vignette and she writes My adult life has been marked by moments of extreme joy, severe pain, wonder, accomplishment, failure, fear, solitude, community, and grit. Most times, a bottle of wine has been somehow involved, its emotions feeding mine and my experiences providing a context for it. Now, I picked that one out as I think it's quite poignant. If we all look back to memorable moments, good or bad, triumphant or tragic, there's normally a glass of something poured to accompany us through that time. And as all wine carries its own story, may we also hold our own stories with that wine. Thank you to all of you for listening to another episode. Join me next week with Victoria as we are going to be talking about wines of Moldova. Yes they make wine in Moldova and have an extensive history. So you're going to want to familiarise yourself with that. As I always say, sorry Groundhog Day again, please share the podcast with your wine loving friends, like the podcast and leave me a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts go to my show notes if you want to get in touch with me and until next week cheers to you